Good morning, church. How are you? Turn to your neighbor and in the custom and tradition of Reverend Joseph, you say, Hosebo! <laughs> oh, I can hear Jose uh, very loudly. Uh, many of you know that last week he was inducted as the vicar of Chapel of the Holy Spirit. I hope you can continue to pray for him. And uh, I'm not going to preach in Hokkien, uh, but I know that you all miss his Hokkien jokes, right? Uh, I also realized that I need to reintroduce myself because after uh, I preached two weeks ago, someone came to a staff member and asked this question, who is this pastor? Uh, which church she come from? Uh, I just want to let you know that I've been serving in Kuz for the last 18 years. And uh, I, was at, I was a parish worker in the Chinese congregation, okay? Only last year, I was attached to St. Andrew's Cathedral for a year of internship uh, to make me more Anglican. Uh, but some people say you don't become Anglican, uh, don't become angry. Uh, so during that one year, in fact, close to this year, about August, I was preaching and someone came to me and said, Wow, Musu, Pastor, you are new. Uh? i never seen you before. And he said, yeah, I said, I'm new, but I'm leaving already. <laughs> I'm going back to Kuz. So in a large church, sometimes we forget that we are actually one big family. Amen. And sometimes we forget uh, we, to introduce ourselves to the person beside us. Uh, there's still many seats here. So I hope that we can continue to get to know one another, to bless one another. Last week, Pastor Kim actually reminded us to not become weary while doing good, tell us to keep sowing. And I thought today I will compliment a group of people that I always see very smiley, very happy, and they are the... Ashes, let's give that a round of applause, shall we? Uh, ashes are very important because uh, this is the first face you see in the church sometimes. And uh, if they are grouchy, uh, not, not good for the church, not good for us. Uh, I've heard of a story about this group of ashes. Uh, they got really frustrated uh, because there are a lot of people who come to church late. And this is in a Catholic church uh, where they see a cross and then someone is crucified there. So there was a uh, a time where a newcomer came to church. Didn't know what was that. Came late, but the ushers very frustrated. Look at him. Wow. Then shake the head. And the newcomer say, Wow, who is this guy? What did he do that you need, people need to crucify him? He said, You don't know this guy. For us, we think this is a good chance to share the gospel. He said, This was last week late comer. <laughs> you know, when you are frustrated, everything will spill over. Like toothpaste like that. If you are full of love, love will spill over. Amen? If you are full of frustration, sometimes if we are not careful about it, uh, frustration will spill over or complaint will come out. And we want to talk about complaint today. How many of you have never complained in your life before? Raise your hand. All right. Thankfully, we have very honest people, but we have to deal with this, right? I have to deal with this. And today, as we think about complaint, uh, we can think of it as a nation first because Singaporeans are famous for complaint. <laughs> Anything wrong, just complain. In fact, there was a story about this man who decided to migrate to another country. And his friend said, you have a stable job, a stable income, a wonderful house, and good insurance coverage by company. What complaints do you have in our country that you have to migrate to another country? And his friend said, exactly. I, I can't complain much here, I guess. And he said, yeah, then why do you still have to migrate? He said, because over there I can complain freely. <laughs> Here, I don't have much to complain. <laughs> there, I can complain freely. I'm not sure whether complaint has become part of our habit 
that we are very unaware of. That anything uh, in church, we maybe don't call it complaint, we call it feedback. Huh? Too cold, we feedback. Too hot, we feedback. Wear masks, we feedback. Don't wear masks, we feedback. Online, on-site. So the list goes on. And pastors and leaders, sometimes we get a lot of feedback. Uh, whether you need to do this or not. In fact, when I was uh, in St. Andrew's Cathedral, we have to preach from very high up. And my first sermon after preaching, I was thinking, wow, uh, this old lady coming forward. Normally, people come forward, they shake hands, and they say, thank you for the message. Lah. Normally, they don't say, wow, you've got to improve in this. Normally, they are quite kind. On. But for her, she came forward, smiled at me, and then said, Pastor, I just want to feedback something. I said, yes, you forgot to switch off the light. <laughs> So I thought, wow, I need to learn how to switch off the light after preaching. <laughs> so when I came back to Kus to preach. Uh, I told them this story. Uh, then my pastor, one of the Chinese pastors came to me uh, and then hold my hand and say, Chris, uh, here no need to switch, light, switch off lights. <laughs> and there's all these things that sometimes confuse us about what are we really on about. We get confused about the things that we really should be mindful about and we get distracted by all these little things. I'm not saying that, you know, icon light is not important. I'm just saying that sometimes we are clouded by all these little things, all this feedback that we forgot what God has called us to do. And so Scripture reminds us, let us not complain as some of them also complain and were destroyed by the destroyer. In James chapter 5, verse 9, it says, Do not grumble against one another, brothers, so that you may not be judged. Behold, the judge is standing at the door. And sometimes I believe that when people complain, they fail to see what God is doing. We start to see what man is doing, so we complain. And so a lot of complaints come out from our own unbelief. We, we no longer believe that God can change this situation. We no longer believe that God can create a miracle in our family. God can do this. In fact, I often said this to young people, what is worse than not encountering God is that after you have encountered God, yet you live a life as though God is not there. We have Christians who believe in God, who worship God, but yet in their proclamation of who God is in their lives, we cannot see the evidence of God's goodness and power. We do not want to be like this. When we stop believing that God is truly God in your life, we start complaining, we start whining. In the Old Testament, we see the Israelites doing the same thing again and again and again because they do not trust Yahweh. They no longer trust in the one who led them out of Egypt. They no longer trust in this God who can also lead them into the promised land. So today we want to turn our attention to Numbers chapter 21. Can we read them together? Ready? From verse 4, go. From Mahor, they set out by the way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. Verse 5. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water. And we love this worthless food. Then the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people and they beat the people so that many people of Israel died. So the people spoke against God and against Moses. When we are frustrated, when we are impatient, when situations around us are not so good, normally we blame who? 
We blame God. God, why you do this to me? And then we blame our leader. Pastor, you must do this. We seldom blame ourselves, right? We look at the situation. In this situation, do they have food? Of course they do. They have manna provided by God. And yet, the Bible says that they love this. They call it worthless. Can you imagine that their eyes have been set on the frustration that they no longer give thanks for what God has provided them? And so when you start to look at this story, it started by saying that they actually traveled from Mount Hall. And we know that Mount Hall is the place where the brother of Moses, Aaron, died. In fact, they wanted to go straight out through Edom because it is a shortcut. But one chapter before that, Edom, actually the people of Edom refused passageway for them. It says in verse 18 of chapter 20 in Numbers 20, it says, Then Edom said to him, You shall not pass through my land, lest I come out against you with the sword. So the people of Israel have to travel down to the Red Sea, and the process of this, they get tired, and because they have to turn around, in fact, it was a very long journey in my trip to Israel, we actually took a bus journey down to almost the same place, and it was quite frustrating because you have to sit in the, in the bus uh, for at least four to six hours. I can't remember, but it was a long journey. And normally in the long journey, people start complaining. <laughs> and I cannot imagine myself having to go on foot through this wilderness. It is frustrating, and naturally, you will complain. Uh, I remember a time when I was bringing my son when he was younger, to visit the zoo. And I thought it was very interesting because I, I have so many ideas. I want him to look at a white tiger la, and this and that. So halfway through, uh, I saw my son, uh, his, his posture, uh, he walked like that. <laughs> and I look at him and say, hey, you are about five years old. How can you walk like an old lady? He said, daddy, how long? I said, wait, 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 the white tiger is nearby. And it was very hot. I was, my vision was for him to see the white tiger, to see the elephant and this and not. I have a great vision for my son, but my son was tired, frustrated. And all, all he wanted uh, was to go to an aircon place and eat ice cream. And many of us are like this because in our journey with God, we just wanted aircon room and God, you just give me my ice cream can already, right? I just want to be in the aircon place and eat ice cream. So we start whining and we start complaining because we fail to see that God has a wonderful plan, truly wonderful for you, truly wonderful for the nation, truly wonderful for Israel. And they started complaining and this is not the first time they have been, they have been complaining. They have been complaining for how many times? The Bible says, uh, at least uh, what was recorded was 14 times. Let me take you through this 14 times because the first time they complained was when Moses went to Pharaoh and said, you know what, God has called me to lead the people out of Egypt, out of slavery. But Pharaoh refused and made things difficult for the people of Israel. So they started complaining. Complain too. In Exodus 14, the people complained more and said to Moses, let us alone. Please leave us alone. Please we want to stay in Egypt because every time you come, our work got harder and harder. Complain three, the people complained about bitter water. When they left Egypt, they went to this place and it was called Mara because the water was bitter. Until Moses prayed and he threw a tree to clean the water. I don't know how it, do, it happened, but the water was sweet again. So they, they complained because there was no water. And then in complain four, they complained because they were hungry and God gave them manna. Complain five, the people complained about being thirsty. Moses struck the rock, water came out. In the first five complaints, God redeemed them, 
save them, gave them away, forgive them. There were no judgment. But complaint six came when they went to Mount Sinai and the people started complaining about Moses not being there and they started to worship the golden calf. At this complaint, the Lord orders the Levites to kill 3,000 people by the sword. And this is a complaint that came with judgment. And God is not happy for us to keep complaining and keep forgiving us. He will forgive, but there are consequences from our whining and complaining. And if we are not careful, we fail to see that God is a God of justice and love. Amen? And we begin to understand that complaint 6 onwards, complaint 7, you start to see their judgment because in Numbers 11, the chapter started off with the people complained to God or complained about God and God sent fire and it, it actually killed some people at the outskirts of the camp. And then they wanted to eat meat. God sent quail and after that sent plague. In complaint 8, Miriam and Aaron, Moses' family members, complained about Moses' leadership and judgment came upon Miriam. Complaint 9, the people complain about how difficult it is to conquer giants. They do not want to enter the promised land. And God says, so shall you be. Your generation will never enter. Complaint 10, the people complained and wanted to kill Moses. And this is what the Lord said. The Lord said, but truly as I live, as, as all the earth shall be filled with the glory of the Lord. None of them, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and have not obeyed my voice. None of them will enter. And this is a warning given to the people of Israel. I'm not the one counting only because God said this 10 times, huh? 10 times you have tested me and I've resisted you and you have not obeyed, so you shall not enter. You shall not enter. And 11 complaints came when key leaders, key leaders rebelled against Moses and this time God opened the ground and swallowed them. And then complaint 12, they started to say that Moses was the one that killed them. Complaint, of course, God sent a plague. Huh? Complaint 13, the people contented with Moses. This time, Moses got really upset. He cannot take it anymore. And they complained about water again. And God said, you know, you speak to the rock and water will come out. But Moses was so upset, so emotional, he struck the rock a second time. Water came out, but Moses was judged. Moses could not enter the promised land. Can you imagine you're playing soccer uh, for the whole 45 minutes? And the... Uh, the ball was passed to you and you are about to score the goal. Uh, and then your coach, beep, change player. <laughs> you cannot score. You are not supposed to score. And someone else scored. Now, I think it's frustrating. And I think it's a warning for all of us. And we come to this complaint 14. This is a passage that we are reading. And the interesting thing is this. When the people complain about long journey and God sent fiery serpents to judge them, after this story, you hear of no more complaint, at least that was recorded in the wilderness. So something has happened here. Something has happened to the people of Israel. Let's read on. In verse 7, it says this together. And the people came to Moses and said, what? We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Pray to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. So now, Pause for a while. The people realize that they are dying, they have been poisoned, they have been beaten by snakes. Now they realize that they have come before God and say, God, forgive me. So they repented. Now, repentance is not a bad word in the church. 
Nowadays, people stop talking about repentance. Repentance is a key ingredient to me for revival. Because repentance put us in a position whereby you understand God is God and we are mere human beings and we make mistakes. We need to recognize God as king. And so the people started to recognize that and they repented. They said that we have sinned against the Lord and against you. So now, please, take away these serpents. How many of us pray like this when we got into trouble? I say, God, please take away the situation, the bad situation, change the situation. Lord, you are a God of miracle. You are the way maker. We sing the song like 10 times. Please, give me away. And it's still problematic. God did not take away the fiery serpents. In fact, the serpents were still there. Sometimes God allows situations to happen in our lives so that He can provide an alternative solution. Can you say amen to that? And in verse 8, we see that the Lord said to Moses, make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole. And everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent, set it on the pole, and if a serpent be anyone, he will look at the bronze serpent and live. It's wonderful because the solution that God gave to Israel and to the people of God was very different from what they wanted. Because this solution requires faith and obedience. Can we say that together? Faith and obedience. And in our journey and walk with God, we realize that God often do not remove the bad situation, but requires you to have faith and obedience to follow Him. Instead of taking away the sickness, sometimes God allows the sickness to continue so that you can trust Him. God provided this solution so that He can heal them completely. Completely from poison and redeem them. This has great significance because this story is a foreshadowing of what Christ has come to do. So we all know John 3.16, right? The two verses before that is actually very important. Because Jesus said this, And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in Him may have eternal life. And then verse 16 says, For God so, so God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. But the Son must be lifted up, because the Son is lifted up, only when the Son is lifted up can salvation come. So Jesus says, When I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. So today, we need to recognize, in order for us to stop complaining and start believing, we need to start to lift up. We need to lift Jesus up. Amen? Because we don't have bronze serpent to lift up here. <laughs> but the bronze serpent is a way of saying that God needs to be lifted up. God needs to be lifted up in that situation. I don't know whether you remember the old chorus that goes like this. Lift Jesus higher. Lift Jesus higher. Lift Him up for the world to see. He said, if I'm be lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men. I will draw all men. I will draw all men unto me. We need to learn to lift Jesus up in our midst. These days, we depend on committee meetings more than the commitment of the faithful. We depend on strategies and planning more than prayer. We plan, then we pray. 
We don't pray before we plan. And then we ask God, Lord, you know, we have planned all this already. You, you, you must appear in this manner. But the Lord says to us that He wants us to pray first, to seek Him first, to understand that if we truly want to see the church of Jesus Christ living to His kingdom purpose, to His fullest potential, we need to lift Jesus up in our midst. We need to lift Jesus in Queenstown. Amen? A story was told about Charles Spurgeon in his heydays when he was preaching. He was so famous that people need to get a ticket to hear him preach. And there was this American young man who wanted to listen to Charles Spurgeon. Begged his friend to give him a ticket. He went there and heard him preach. And after the service, his friend asked him, how was the service? He said, what a preacher. What a preacher. And the story goes on to say that Charles Spurgeon was actually beside and overhearing this, he started weeping. And as he was weeping, his church member came and consoled him and asked him what happened. Charles Spurgeon said this, I wish that friend would say, what a saviour. What a saviour. Because our purpose is not to gain glory, to gain honour, to gain praise for ourselves. All that we are doing, all that we are serving is to give glory to God. Whatever I'm doing here, it is not for you to check the list and say, okay, this is a good preaching. No, for me, I'm preaching to worship God. I'm preaching so that the message of God can go out and the word of God goes out, will not return to him void. It will seek to accomplish what it seeks to accomplish. And for us, as we listen to the word of God, our worship to him is when we start to apply, when we start to have faith, when we start to obey his word. Amen? And that's the way that we should function. It is not to gain glory for ourselves in your serving. That those who are on stage are meant to reflect the grace and mercy and love of God. And as a church, we must continue to shine brightly so that people can see. So we lift Jesus up, not to lift ourselves up. And Jesus in John 8, when he was talking to the Pharisees, when he was directing people to the light of the world. And as he was sharing about the light of the world and actually pointing people to himself, the Pharisees got really upset. And they were so upset that they told Jesus, you are bearing witness to yourself, not to God, and your witness is not true. And then John chapter 8, verse 28, Jesus started to predict and to tell them that, you know, the Son of Man that you know is going to the cross. And so in verse 28, it says this, Jesus said to them, when you have lifted up the Son of Man, then you will know that I am He and that I do nothing on my own authority. So the Bible points us to Jesus. And then a few verses later, it says this, as He was saying these things, many believed Him. And so when we look at the passage in Numbers, the bronze serpent was lifted up, salvation took place. When Jesus is lifted up, salvation takes place. And when we recognize that, we start to begin to understand the mission that, the, that God has for the church is always about the cross. And it has to be Christ-centered. It has to be gospel-centered. All that we are doing must point back to Jesus and not to us. However, even the bronze serpent the way that God used to save the people of Israel from dying from poisonous snakes became an instrument that the devil used for idolatry. Because 700 years later, the bronze serpent became an idol. 
people started to worship the bronze serpent to the fact that King Hezekiah, when he was doing the reformation of the nation, he has to destroy it. And in those days, people relate to snakes with images of healing. In fact, the Greek god of healing, Asclepius, was depicted as, as a snake. But God was really reminding the people that I'm above all these things. I'm above the God of snakes. So when you look at how God led the people out of Egypt, the 10 plagues, every plague was dealing with a, a God, a God that the Egyptians were, were worshipping. And God is trying to tell us again and again, I'm the one that's above all these things. But many times, our healing can become barriers, barriers to us knowing God. The medium that God used for His grace and salvation must not be used as an object of worship. You know, I've heard of uh, sometimes God used uh, healing cloth, like, you know, God used the handkerchief and, and you know, passed the handkerchief. And we read it in the Bible also, right? And so there are people who, who, who touch this and, and they got healed. Okay, so, so the question is, who is powerful? Is the cloth powerful or God powerful? <laughs> so it's God, right? But then there are people after this, right, will sell cloth, uh, they will sell cloth, this is an anointed one, pray over. Uh, to, to be honest, I think it's, it's bordering on this, uh, it's bordering on idolatries and superstition. It's bordering on things that we God use as medium of His grace, but we use it as an object of worship and we have to be careful. Church, we can make anything to become an idol in our heart. And Tim Keller says this, what is an idol? It is anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything that's sick to give you what only God can give. In fact, John Calvin was the one that says that human heart is a factory for idols. And if you are not careful, whatever God has blessed you with, whatever God has given you, your family, your children, your job, all these things can become an idol. I remember many years ago, I was seeking the Lord and I felt convicted to go to Mongolia. I wanted to be a missionary in Mongolia. At the age of 19 years old, I was preparing to go to Mongolia. I went to the Bible college just to prepare myself and my wife to go to Mongolia. But yet, in the course of it, I have made Mongolia my idol. I have ignored the many warnings, the problems in my family, the problems with my relationship with my wife during those days, the friction, the fault lines, I ignored. And I was very focused on just going to Mongolia. And the Lord has to teach me, teach me to understand that He is my God, not Mongolia. And today I'm here, to be honest, if many years ago uh, God said, you know, I'm going to make you an Anglican priest, I would say, no way. <laughs> I would probably run far, far away. But yet in the course of the journey, I, you know, I went to the Chinese church and I started serving and just step by step, the Lord brought conviction and clarity. And today I'm here, back in the English church, <laughs> preaching in English again. And sometimes Saturday I get very confused because morning I'll go to the Hokkien Cantonese service. I'll have to speak Hokkien, uh, my broken Hokkien. Maybe my broken Hokkien can heal the broken heart. Uh. So I've, I've gotten used to speaking in Chinese. Uh. So my English, sometimes my wife keep telling me, hey, your grammar, what's your grammar? My he and she get mixed up all the time. <laughs> But I realized that, hey, you know, throughout all these years, God is always showing me step by step. But I need to put down. Maybe there's something that you need to put down. 
Don't desire the things of God, but desire God so that His purpose will be on your hearts. So, before you know it, if you start complaining all the time, you start to realize your vision uh, and your eyes are constantly on the things that you're frustrated about. In fact, yesterday after the sermon, I, I went to uh, talk to my son. He was not at the service, uh, so I told him what I was preaching about. So I asked Caleb, I said, Caleb, uh, what is the solution for us not to complain? I just want to hear from an 11-year-old. And his reply was, be grateful, Lord. <laughs> I said, wow, that was, that's, that's very good. What else? He said, only that. Lah. <laughs> and then I said, what are you grateful for? And he said this, I'm grateful that you and mommy did not die when I was young. <laughs> so I thought, wow, okay. If not, I will be an orphan, he said. And there are orphans around. I don't know what uh, messages and what YouTube he has been watching, lah, whether Ukraine war or what. But he said something that was very interesting because he did not talk about many other things. He just treasured us because we are there. He didn't say that, you know, I thought he would say, because you are the best daddy ever. No, he didn't say that. He said, because you are alive, <laughs> I'm happy. Maybe sometimes we need to step back and be thankful. Thankful for your wife, thankful for your husband. Thankful about what uh, they, they have been serving you, how, how they have been for you. Uh, they always say marriage, uh, before marriage, everything is good. Uh, but after you marry, the first year of marriage, the husband talk, the wife listen. Uh. Mm, yes, yes, dear. Second year, no more. Yeah. Second year, the wife speak, the husband listen. The third year onwards, uh, husband and wife talk, uh, the neighbors are listening uh, because they are fighting all the time. So we need to lift up, uh, lift Jesus up in your family, lift Jesus up in your workplace. Next is to look up. Everybody say, look up. Uh, you don't have to look up now, but you should look up to Jesus because Ultimately, in the passage in Numbers, it says this, everyone who is bitten, when he sees it, shall live. Because it takes faith to look, you know. It takes obedience to actually look up. Now, I, if I imagine myself being there together with them and looking at my friends dying because of snake bites, and I tell them, hey, look up. And I do not know whether there are some people who refuse to look up because they are applying their own ointment. They say, you know, this one, my ancestor, my mother, father gave me a very good for snake bites one. And then halfway applying, they died. <laughs> and it takes faith. It takes obedience. It takes trust to actually look up. And I thought to myself, maybe this is a message for all of us that it is very easy, but yet difficult. Because the easy thing may not be the things that you like. The easy thing may not be the things that you're willing to trust. Because the Pharisees were like this. They know the Word of God. They, they argue. They study deeply. They can debate about the Word of God. But when Jesus was telling things plainly, they did not believe. They did not look up. In fact, Jesus told them, He said that, I'm going away, you will seek me, and you will die in your sin. Go down a few verses. He said, I told you, you will die in your sins. For unless you believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Within a few verses, repeated three times was this judgment. You will die in your sins. Friends, we are doing church. We are not playing games. And church is about saving lives. 
You may not think that you are the fireman, but you are a spiritual fireman. And a spiritual fireman is not to put out fire because we put out fire all the time. The purpose is to save lives. The building can go out, but the lives are important. And therefore, we need to remind ourselves that those who do not look up will die in their sins. But yet the good news for us is when we looked up, we will live and we will have abundant life and we will have hope in Christ and we will live differently. And I remember when I was younger and I could not go to church, I came from a family that worshipped all kinds of gods. I came from a Buddhist Taoist family. And in our family, we have many different gods and they all look very angry. <laughs> and one day when I was in, in school, a teacher actually shared the gospel story to me. And I went back home, I knelt down, I prayed, I gave my life to Jesus on my own. And then I was ten, 10 years old, I went to a camp, I gave my life to Jesus many times, but I could not go to church and I was not discipled. I didn't know the Old Testament and the New Testament. I just know that I think I'm a Christian. But at the age of 16, something happened to my family. The long story short, to cut the long story short, uh, a lot of frustration, a lot of fights happened. My father got stroke, and then the fights led to a situation that one day I took a knife and almost stabbed my own grandmother. I was so frustrated, I took a knife and I rushed to the kitchen and I wanted to stab my grandmother. My mother stood in between us and blocked us. And thank God, because of that very block, I'm still here today. <laughs> and that very night, I remember crying out to God. I said, God, if you are real, can you do something to me? Can you change me? Because I know something inside I couldn't control, my anger, my frustration. And I knelt down and I remember having this daily bread and I opened up randomly. And the topic of the devotion was this, control your temper. <laughs> you know, when you start crying out to God and you really pray and God appeared and, and, and really speak to you, you know that He is real. And friends, we need to understand there are many things that you cannot resolve in this world. There are many things that actually is not in your control. We need to let go of our control our need for control to let him take control. And therefore, we need to look up. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, it says this, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, people who have gone before us, people who have stood the faith, they have persevered, and even though they did not see the outcome and the result of glory, they continue to stay steadfast. With all these witnesses, the author of Hebrews says, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. Wow. Simple yet profound. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So in your pain, friends, Look to Jesus in your disappointments. Look to Jesus in your doubtfulness. Look to Jesus in your frustration. Look to Jesus in your worries. Look to Jesus. Look up. Look up. I remember a time when someone looked up and his life was changed. This is Maniam. Maniam is actually Kasturi, a husband. And if you know Kasturi, he's one of the cleaners from uh, our outsourced um, uh, cleaning company called Lucky, Lucky Company. Key, key Lucky. And when uh, I was at the atrium one day, Kasturi came to me and said, Pastor Chris, can you pray for me? I said, sure. 
He said that the husband was a bit mental, screaming and shouting in a hospital. And I remember Maniam many years ago when I was still a teenager. I was at the backyard uh, trying to talk to some of the, some of the helpers. Uh, and he was screaming, shouting and cursing uh, because he was drunk. So I remember Maniam. But now Maniam was sick. So I, I said to myself, maybe I should, I should go and visit Maniam. But I've forgotten about it. So a few weeks later... I remembered, the Holy Spirit reminded me, visit Maniam. So I called up Kasturi and I said, Kasturi, I want to visit Maniam. But he said, uh, Maniam actually discharged already, now back at home. So I said, can I visit Maniam at his house? To which Kasturi paused for a while and said, you must be careful because he will curse you and shout at you and scold you. Because now he's not in the right frame of mind. So I thought to myself, better don't go alone. So I called Kali and said, hey, can you come with me? I want to go and pray for, pray for him. But maybe we have to do deliverance, just be careful. So we went out there, we prayed. We prayed downstairs. We prayed before going. And I said, God, please help us. So we went there. Lo and behold, Manem was on the wheelchair and he opened the door. And the first thing he said was, who are you? Then I said, oh, I'm from Church of Our Saviour. He said, oh, Church of Our Saviour. I know, I know. I said, yeah, yeah, your wife works there, by the way. <laughs> and uh, he said, I know Pastor Derek. I said, yeah, 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 I also know Pastor Derek. We'll try to have some common commonality. So I, I told him that I'm here to pray for him, and he invited me to his, to his house. And so we started talking, but he warned me. He said, you're from church, huh? Don't tell me anything about church and everything. Huh? I'm not a Christian. I tell you I'm not a Christian. I'm a Hindu. I said, I know, I know. So we went in, and he started telling me his stories. And his stories included his gang fights, his tribe, how he beat up people. The more he shared, the more afraid I was. <laughs> you know, my story about trying to kill my grandmother was very different from his. <laughs> and I said, well, I better say the right things. So I kept quiet and let him talk. And after he finished his heydays, his glorious days, he turned to me and said, You leh? What about you? What's your story? <laughs> I said, you gave me that permission. So I shared my testimony. Lah. After I finished my testimony, I said, oh, you know, lah, I, I'm a Christian. That's why God loves me. Lah. And I wanted to do the altar call, but I was a bit scared. Lah. So I decided, don't want, don't want, never mind. <laughs> so I left it as that, and we decided to buy lunch for him. And so we bought lunch for him, went up. Before I left, I prayed for him. And as I was praying for him, I said, Mariam, I'm going to pray for you. Is it okay? He said, yes. So I prayed for the love of God to be revealed to him. And as I was praying, I could see that he was very touched. And I opened my eyes. I saw tears in his eyes. And then I asked him, do you, uh, I hope one day you, you will be touched by God's love. You will experience God's love. He said, yeah, today I experienced God's love. He said, really? Why? How? I thought it was my testimony. And he said, because you bought lunch for me. <laughs> so the lunch was very important. And so I said, now that you have experienced God's love, do you want God's love to be in your heart? Is there anything that's stopping you from experiencing God's love? He said, no, I, I don't mind. So I said, you want to believe in Jesus Christ? He said, yes. So I was, I was worried. So then I asked him again, are you sure you want to believe in Jesus Christ? And he really said yes. So I led him to the sinner's prayer, and I was really happy. So I text the wife, Kasturi. Then Kasturi replied, uh, was not as happy, you know, he said, Nowadays, uh, he's a bit mental. Uh, you don't believe in everything that he says. <laughs> and then I text the daughter, Rani. Rani said the same thing. He said, my 
my father nowadays can say things may change. Huh? So I thought, okay, maybe I'll leave it as that. But I did tell him that after you become a Christian, you must be baptized. I will come back huh, to baptize you. But because of all these messages, I was a bit disheartened. Huh? So I left it as it. And then one day, after a few weeks, uh, Kasturi called me and he said, hey, my husband uh, said you are supposed to go and baptize him. <laughs> so I said, really? He said that. I said, okay. But now he's in hospital. So what to do? I said, never mind, hospital also can baptize him. Uh. I, I get a priest uh, because I was not ordained. I said, I get a priest to come. So I called Joseph, Reverend Joseph, you. I said, hey, Joseph, let's go and baptize him. Uh. He said, okay, okay. So we went there and we baptized him. We prayed for them. And we had such a wonderful time to see Maniam turn to Christ. And you know what? I remember Maniam in the conversation of this, different conversations. He said this, he said, I'm such an evil person. You know, he was sharing all these things and I was nodding because I agree that he's very evil and quite scary, whether drugs and fighting. But, but he said, can, can God really forgive and, I, and we prayed for them. We prayed for their relationship. I could see God at work because he looked up. And when people looked up, I looked up and I got saved. He looked up, he got saved. And interesting thing is, I, I do not know how fully Christian he is sometimes because he's not discipled and things like that. Never go through any baptism, confirmation class. <laughs> it was just like this. And one day he was throwing a party. I think uh, David Chong was there. A few of us were there. I went there and I saw this can of beers, liquor, and all this thing there. I thought to myself, I think he's drunk already. But when I went there, he, he saw me and said, Pastor! He told them, this is my pastor. I tell them, ah, now I'm a Christian, so I don't drink anymore. You know, he was a drunkard, no? To me, this was the greatest testimony for his salvation because he looked up. And finally, we need to speak up. Everybody, everybody say, speak up! We need to speak out. We cannot be quiet. Because the gospel is not for us to keep within our hearts and just pray, 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 and we don't talk about it. Because in those days, in Numbers 21, they were complaining, complaining. Everybody is complaining. Who do not know how to complain? We all, we don't need a teacher to teach us to complain, right? And then after they complained, when they were judged, disease was spreading. But mind you, after the bronze serpent was set up, good news was spreading. I believe that either Moses was going around bringing this bronze serpent or people far away who could not hear the instruction, they have to depend on those who are in front to spread the news and say, do you know, once you look up, you'll be saved. Once you look up, you'll be healed. And there there are people there to speak up. And there are people here that are speaking up. You are speaking up today. You may be bringing a friend and you're speaking and you're testifying. And that's good. Because... Those of us who had COVID-19 infection, how many of you have had your COVID-19 already? You got your virus already? Okay, quite a lot of people. Some of us twice and three times, right? Uh, but when you actually had the infection, you probably received many text messages that say, you know, you need to drink a lot of coconut water and you need to take this. You need to drink honey lemon. When I was sick, many people sent coconut water for me. So I realized that people were very concerned because they have, they have gone through the COVID-19, they are still alive, and they want to tell me, hey, this one worked, this one worked. And I want to tell you this, that we have something that really works, and that is for our salvation. And it really works because heaven is real. And one day, we will be there. And then we want our friends to be there. 
And so we need to speak up. And there was a time when I was speaking up because I love running. And we have this running group on Tuesday before clergy meeting. And one of our friends brought a non-Christian at 6.30. And you know that this guy probably really wants to run because those who don't want to run will not turn up at 6.30. And so when I was running, as usual, I heard that he was a non-Christian. So I started running and sharing my gospel. And I know that last week, Gimyong says that, Pastor Gimyong says that, uh, for him, uh, running, not his thing. Uh. Sergeant always now there, neck, 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 neck. He said, can you please keep quiet and shut up? So if it is Gimyong, uh, I think I lost, I lost him forever. <laughs> but different folks, different stroke. Uh, so I tried. Uh. And uh, when I was jogging, I actually was nodding. No? But he was not giving a response uh, because he was panting. <laughs> so he was very agreeable throughout the whole journey. I was running. So at the end, uh, I thought I would give an altar call. I say, you know, after you heard my testimony, do you want to receive Jesus? Because I, I spoke up. And then he did this. So I, I was getting excited already. Because he was catching his breath. Then he said, I'm not ready. <laughs> and we have, we have friends like that, right? We share a lot, but they are not ready. So give them time. So I invited him to church the, the week after. And uh, in fact, he was invited already. He was ready to come. His parents came, and I also invited my other friends, non-Christian. I was preaching that day. It was Palm Sunday this year. And so I preached the message, and I was focusing on my climbing friends because I already shared the gospel with this guy, and he has rejected. So I moved on, <laughs> moved on to my other friends. And I was uh, thinking to myself, I should preach an evangelistic message. So I preached, and then that day, many new friends came. I do not know why. But my friends did not come out. I keep telling them to come out, but they just smiled at me. <laughs> But this brother who went jogging that very day came out with his parents and he gave his life to Jesus Christ. Wow! And he's still running with me every Tuesday, so thank God he's loving running now. <laughs> Maybe I should get Pastor King on the run with me. <laughs> and uh, he has been baptized. He started serving in St. Andrew's Cathedral. So what I want to tell you is this. Sometimes what you focus are the people you're focused, praying for, 20 years haven't come to Christ. Along the way, God, God is bringing other people to Christ. You just keep sowing because you never know where the seed is going to land up, right? Because look at this papaya tree. It grew from a toilet, no? So, I mean, look at the fruits. It's amazing. And some of us are saying, you know, Pastor, my environment is not good because it is very dark. You know, the light shines brightest in darkest places. And so the, the environment is, is not really the issue, right? It is the soil. The soil. And there are good soil even in toilet. That's what I think. <laughs> right? Because someone probably ate papaya and swallowed the seed and, and have a bad tummy ache. <laughs> and... All I know is this, the soil is good. <laughs> because we never know. And I want you to know this, that as you start sowing, you never know what God is doing. You just be open. Be open and stop complaining. Start believing in a God who does miracles. Start believing in a God who changed life. Start believing that God can do something because while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Before your friends are transformed, before they are open to come to church, maybe God is doing something. I'm still uh, helping some of my friends. And, and it's very interesting because they are still unbelievers, but they will say things like this, you know, I know you're praying for me. Or they will say things like, you know, the big man upstairs is really watching me. I think God has prepared me to meet you. 
but they are still unbelievers. And it's very interesting because we never know uh, whether they are saved at what point. Maybe some of you here, you, you are unsafe. Huh? Maybe, uh, I'm just saying. You may think you are saved, but you're, you may not be saved. Maybe some people out there, they, they are really saved. Some watching online, you are saved. The, the reason for saying this is, is not sometimes by a formula. It is really by a true response to what God has done because salvation is never by works. Salvation is by the grace of God. And today I want to share with you that more than 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to die for you and me. And church is not about doing a list of things to get into the favour of God and then God will say, okay, well done. Now you can be my child. Now you can enter into heaven. No. Salvation is never about this. Salvation is about recognising that I cannot do it myself. I will never be able to earn my right to enter into heaven. And therefore, I recognise that I'm a sinner. I recognise that God is good. And the word repent means to change your mind. And today, some of us may need to repent from complaining too much. And you need to start believing in a God who does miracles. Some of you, some of us may, may need to repent from some of the things that we are doing, that we think that nobody is watching, nobody is seeing. But you know what? God has seen everything. There's nothing you can do that will change whatever you have done. But He said this, I forgive you. Because at the cross, the first thing that Jesus said this was this, Forgive them because they do not know what they are doing. And so today, as we come to a close, I want you to know that God is speaking to some of us right now. Maybe you are far away from God. Maybe you are invited to come to this service. And you heard this message. You may not think that you, you are one of those people who are beaten by snakes. Maybe you didn't think that you were. But the scriptures remind us that when, when we come out in this world as a baby, we already have sinned. Because you, you don't need to learn how to lie, you, you know how to lie. I, I don't need to teach you how to complain, you know how to complain. Because there's, there's an innate sin in us. And we can never do anything to remove that. But God has, has a solution. And this solution is, is simple. It's just to look at Him. It's to say, God, I need you. And so right now, with every eye, Close, every eyes closed, every head bowed. I wonder if there's anybody who is here this morning who wanted to say, God, I need you. I want you to come into my life, save me. Maybe you were invited, maybe you have been in church for some time and you have straight away, you felt like, you know, you have backslided. Maybe those online. That's you. At the count of three, I want you to raise your hand as an indication of your surrender to God. No obligation, but God is here. At the count of three. One, two, three. Praise God. See one hand, two, three. Praise God. Anybody else? Now God knows you. God, God knows your heart. Anybody else? Thank you, Lord. Those of you who have raised your hands, can you say a simple prayer with me? This prayer is an indication of your response. And I, I want Christians to pray together with me to encourage those who have raised their hands. 
Dear Jesus, thank you for saving me. I confess that I'm a sinner and I'm in need of saving. I open my heart right now and ask you to come into my life so that I can become a Christian, so that I can receive eternal life. Help me, Lord, to live a life that glorifies you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we give a clap offering to God? Shall we stand? Can I invite just now those people who have raised your hand come forward after service? We want to give you something to encourage you, to help you in your faith. But I thought tonight, uh, this morning, I, I want to close off with the last song that we sang just now. Can we sing the last song? Hallelujah. Because I, I thought that was really a picture and a vision for the church. As we sing this song, I want you to, as you sing, think of all the people that will be in heaven. And if your family members, your loved ones, they are not there, start to pray for them and start to say something, speak up, do something. So let's, let's sing this song with the vision of uh, God bringing them with the multitude. Amen. Yeah. So Lord, Lord, I stand in the midst of a multitude of those from every tribe and tongue. We are your people, redeemed by your blood, rescued from death by your blood. There are no Hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb. Hallelujah, hallelujah. By the blood of Christ we stand. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land. Giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto the Lamb of God. Lord, we stand by grace. Lord. Stand by grace in your presence. We're cleansed by the blood. We are your children, called by your name. Humbly we bow and we pray. Release your power to work in us and to move us. To be a change, to be more like you. Then all the nations will see your glory revealed and worship you. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah to the Lamb, hallelujah. 
Hallelujah. By the blood of Christ we stand. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land. Giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto the Lamb of God. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that you are Lord of all. Every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that you are Lord of all. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, to the Lamb, hallelujah, hallelujah, by the blood of Christ we stand. Every tongue, every tribe, every people, every land, giving glory, giving honor, giving praise unto the Lamb of God, giving praise unto the Let's pray. Father, we thank you, we thank you, we thank you, Lord. Lord, truly, worship, mission exists because worship doesn't. And we want to have this vision, Lord, that in heaven we shall see our friends, our family members there. And we have this hope, Lord. We have this salvation gift. And we want to speak up, Lord. We want to share with others. Give us bonus, give us courage, give us creativity. Let us not be obnoxious. And help us be caring and kind so that we will be the sweet fragrance of the gospel and be ambassador of Christ. Thank you, Lord. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with us and our family now and forever. Amen. Amen. <laughs> Service is over. Those of you who need prayer, you can still come forward. Those who have responded, Maybe I can invite you to come and let us know so that we can help you to grow in your faith.